this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebound Safety. Today, we've got a really interesting chat, actually. I put out a post on LinkedIn a long time ago. Um, I shared a post of somebody else's, actually, where they were pretty much just kind of slagging off this, this sign that they'd seen. And I shared it and was like, yeah, this. You know how we do? We go, this, full stop. Um, and... Um, and he didn't agree with me. Um, so we had a really big chat on, on the comments and then there was just loads of really good debate. Um, we ended up DMing each other, slid into the DMs. And um, I was like, well, come on the podcast then, dude. Let's, let's talk about it. And we did. And actually had a really good chat. Um, so let's jump into the intro. I'll tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. So if you're new here, hit subscribe, hit like, hit follow, blah, 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 blah. Today we're talking to a gentleman called Bryce Lawrence. Um, he's a really interesting guy, works around the world, works <clears throat> in loads of different uh, kind of industries and, and ultimately is like kind of really attracted to the idea of safety differently and has done it in the workplace and has worked it and, and kind of has an opinion on it, which ultimately we kind of come to agree, but ultimately how we came together was a disagreement in how we viewed a signage uh, in the workplace. And and I'll introduce a concept and, and Bryce will introduce his, his kind of view on it. And then essentially we just chat off the back of that. Um, so hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully you find this interesting. I like having people on that, that don't you know, really agree with me uh, or I don't agree with them. Uh, as long as we can have a good chat, it's always much better than just two people just agreeing with each other, which is what most podcasts are. Um, so I kind of, yeah, flew at the opportunity to get someone on who maybe comes at this slightly different. Ultimately, we are agreeing with each other just from different points of view. Anyway, I'll stop ruining the podcast. Just a quick shout out to Paradigm Human Performance, uh, human organizational performance experts. These guys work around the world with some amazing brands doing some amazing work with their amazing team. So if you're in a position within your workplace where you're trying to onboard some of the hot principles, human organizational performance principles and practices and tools, then these are the specialists can help you out with that 100%. Whether you want to train up some practitioners, whether you want to work with the shop floor, or whether you want to work with the blunt end and the leadership as well, they have the solutions for you. And also don't forget to check out the Learning Organization webinar, which they run, which is an outstanding resource of amazing conversations. And they built a lovely little community there as well. So don't forget to sign up to that every other Thursday. If you're looking to improve your professional development with say, within safety and risk management, then please go and check out Project Elite EM. Dot com website in the description below if you don't want to work out how to spell Millennium. Running the first month free, um, so you can go there, you can try it for a month, experience a weekly course, experience a book club and the philosophy course that we run. Um, and then if you're lucky and your month falls on when we do our quarterly event, you might you might experience that as well. So go check that out. I guarantee once you try your first month, you'll be like, I'm staying, this is amazing. So much more than just ticking the box CPD. This is about actual development. It's about actually helping each other become better safety professionals, better risk professionals. Come and try it. Trust me, I know you'll love it. And that's not just because I founded the organization with Colin. 100% I know you'll love it. Don't forget to check out rebrandingsafety.com. There's loads we're doing. We're so much more than just a podcast and a YouTube channel now. We're offering consultancy services. We're offering solutions to brands that might want to advertise to the organ uh, to the industry of uh, professional and safety professionals and so on. Um, so there's loads of stuff we can do, whether you're trying to get some support from a technical safety, culture improvement, or like I say, market to health and safety professionals, we have solutions for you. So go check out reboundandsafety.com. Loads of stuff there for you uh, to help you out. Without further ado, let's get into my chat with Bryce Lawrence. Bryce, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much for having me. No worries, no worries. Why don't you give a little introduction to yourself and then we're going to get into our chat. Okay, so I'm a Kiwi living here in uh, Hamburg, Germany. My background back in New Zealand was working for environmental protection for the government and we were doing emergency response, pollution response and environmental auditing. After that I did a bit of consultancy by myself when I was transitioning between New Zealand and Germany 
um, and worked in the Middle East and in, in New Zealand. And then I spent six years working in health and safety in the oil and gas industry, and it was a bit of an eye-opener. And, you know, this topic about new safety, I sort of become passionate about it after being at an oil and gas conference in Denmark, a safety conference, and I heard Sidney Decker speak, and he really pissed off the room with what he was saying, but something he said uh, connected with me. And... I started getting more and more into it uh, and trying to explore new safety concepts and bring them into my uh, a role in the oil and gas industry, and it was difficult. Uh, and then I looked back and I looked at why it fits with me so well, and we had mm, what is now called new safety concept working for the government back in New Zealand. We just didn't know what it was. It was just the way we worked. And, yeah, and, and I look back and I see... A simplified view of new safety uh, from my experience in the past. Nice. Um, what are you do you want to touch on what you do now? What you're doing now? Yeah. So I've got a consultancy, and I started out the consultancy doing uh, safety and emergency risk management. But um, I'm now focusing my company, and I'm putting pretty much 99% of my energy into building a new uh, branch. Uh, it's called ESG Ship Vetting, and it's focusing on human rights of seafarers uh, on all those vessels that are bringing the products to our shores that we consume every day. And that uh, an unknown problem that we have in our supply chains is that uh, the crews on board a lot of the ships in the world are modern slaves, and their human rights are abused all the time and businesses are looking at their supply chains from A to A to Z, but they've never focused on the shipping world because they believe, and rightly so, because there's so many rules in place, that the shipping part of their supply chain shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's a, it's a major issue. And so, yeah, I'm working with um, importers, exporters, cargo owners uh, to look at their supply chain. But I've still got a strong passion for uh, safety, and uh, and new safety concepts rather than the old traditional safety approaches. And that's how you and I got into a bit of a discussion on LinkedIn. I yeah. couldn't stop myself. Mm. So let's, uh, let's kick off with that then. So we'll, we'll use the post that we connected with to kind of frame the conversation and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll go down the rabbit hole from there. So I'll introduce the post. So basically it was a, it was a post by a gentleman that was not being too kind about signs such as um, be safe, your family are expecting you home tonight um, <clears throat> types of signs. And, and, and the, the post, obviously I agreed with it cause I shared it and um, my stance on, on stuff like that. And my stance in that, in that conversation was that typically those signs um don't really help in my opinion uh, and my and my experience it was that they they're just stating the obvious in my opinion that you know I know that my family want me home and I know that my family want want me to be alive with all of my legs and limbs so that's pretty obvious you don't need to patronize me and tell me that that uh that I that they're expecting me home and then in addition to that in my experience when I see those signs I normally roll my eyes and think, oh, we've got that type of company because nine times out of 10, in my experience, sitting behind those signs is very little resourcing of the actual management of risks. Um, and nine times out of 10, it's just re- relying on humans to make the right decisions and have the right behaviors. Yeah. Actually manage the risks. That was my stance on it or still, and still is my stance on, on those types of signs. And um that's pretty much how we connected. So uh, I'll let you come in and, and chime your stance on it, and then we'll probably go from there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I follow you and I listen to your podcasts. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree with 90 to 95% of the things you say um, and your approaches. But I didn't like this uh, opinion of yours. So I, I voiced it. And why I, I agree with, Again, majority of what you're saying about what that sign represents, mm. but I I think we in 
a lot of our world we live in, we're too absolute. And around safety and new safety, we're becoming too absolute in what we believe is the right solution for the right organization. And I believe the right approach is there's different solutions for different, different environments, different countries, different company cultures. And blaming a sign or saying a sign represents a bad culture to me um, is, is too absolute. And I appreciate that the majority of places that have these sign, this sign up probably could improve their safety quite a lot. I 100% agree with when companies got a, a sign on the gate saying day since last lost time incident. Um, I think that's that's an absolute no go and uh, has has significant negative um, implications for a business. But this sign itself for me is a reminder, and I appreciate that it probably it's nine times out of ten maybe is a symptom. Well, companies with bad cultures will display this sign. Uh, so if you see this sign nine times out of ten, that company's probably got a bad culture or a culture that could improve. But I think that's it's a little bit unfair to this company. I don't I can't read the name of the company. Um, but that sign to me could absolutely represent a good culture, and it could mean something to that company that mean doesn't mean the same thing to you. And I'll bring it back to some of my experiences from sort of operational. Um, safety so back in new zealand i wasn't a safety professional i worked in high-risk environments um i was a senior skipper on board coast guard vessels and i was an emergency response for chemical spills and oil spill response but in those high-risk organizations we also interacted a lot with uh, the military um, back in new zealand on oil spill response and i worked a lot with the police and the fire service and they had kind of their own culture and their old mantra and a lot of that culture you couldn't publicly display because it would be seen as negative but this sort of sign here is to me as a reminder i go to coast guard we were highly trained we spent a lot of time training 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 looking at our risks challenging ourselves exercising and when i get a job and it's urgent i don't have time to spend half an hour doing um talking about everything uh i will talk to the crew about what the job is and any unusual situation that we have involved and the crew will address their concerns and ask questions and at the end of it i might finish up saying something like right let's not do any dumb shit today now not doing any dumb shit today is similar to in my mind your family's expecting you home tonight it's a reminder come on guys the last thing i want to enforce on you to the, or put in your mind at the end of this briefing before we race down the channel is that we are going home tonight safe and we're not going to risk our lives to achieve the operational outcome mm. we were risking our lives but we had to risk our lives at a at a at a formal uh, uh, risk our lives at a managed risk so we keep, we were keeping that message casual because we were a, a, a team that trusted each other and we knew each other, but you can't have that sign on your gate. So having a, a sign on your gate, uh, I'd like your to family is... I'd Sorry? Like see, I'd like to see that on a gate. Don't do any dumb shit today. I'd quite like that. Yeah, but you can't because it's unprofessional. <laughs> swearing if I've come into normal corporate language. Yeah. But anyway, I interrupted you, carry on. No, no, so, no, so and, and so there's also, you know, I could easily say on board the boat as we're going out the channel, think of your family, boys, um, just to remind them, because we are humans, and no matter how much safety training we're doing and how much safety thinking we're doing and how good our culture is, we make mistakes, speaks particularly in the high-risk environments. So finishing off with a bit of a mantra, uh, and, and maybe this, 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 I think it's an electricity company actually has got a bit of an internal mantra about using this sign this saying to remind people today we're going to be safe and just just as a simply as a reminder without reading too much in behind what that else that sign could represent um and just one other example uh, an oil spill response 
every incident we wrote an incident action plan uh, which we briefed the team on beforehand before we started responding to the oil oil spill response can be a high-risk job and every single incident action plan uh, we had uh, something to the effect of in the aim to safely to safely contain the oil before darkness tonight now to safely doesn't actually say what we're going to do it's not addressing any risks it's not you know it's 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 nothing other than saying to the team we're responding to oil we've got a deadline to get the oil contained before mid uh, darkness but we're going to do it safely and a high performance team that is operating in a good environment in my view these sort of signs and mantras are handy and useful it's just difficult because i don't disagree but I don't 100% agree. So I agree that mantras, heuristics, things like one-liners that help us solve problems or remind us of of, of uh, how to make a decision or, or how the company expects us to make a decision or, or whatever, it are good things, 100%. I'm just not sure that this is one. So I'm not sure that we could say, so to your point, I would say, you know, let's not do any dumb shit is probably a little bit better than don't forget your families want you home tonight. Because ultimately, if you're if you're doing like you say it was a um, sea rescue, was it was that what you're talking about? Was it Coast Guard? Yeah, Coast Guard. or an oil spill response? Yeah, I couldn't think sea rescue. What the fuck am I on about? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think um, if you're so the Coast Coast Guard is inherently a risky job, right? So it's not unheard of for a member of the Coast Guard to seriously hurt themselves or unfortunately lose their lives, maybe get lost at sea. You know, there is a potential for them to. I would say the risk is lower than you think because of the training. And that's a topic we're going to talk about later, aren't we? Yeah. And and, and, and that's something we definitely need to come on to is, is what the next part of this is what sits behind it. So. Yeah. But, but can I just jump in and yeah. I'm just going to, you know, the sign, what yeah. does a sign represent? And you said nine times out of 10, uh, this sign probably is present nine times out of time, 10, the company culture behind it is not good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and companies that have a good culture don't have these types of signs. Is the, op is the opposite? Of what I did so, the first bit. So I think not in my experience, nine times out of ten, the those signs indicate to me that there's gonna be nothing sitting behind it, no effective risk yeah. management. So therefore a company with a good culture is probably not gonna have these signs out. Well, yeah, maybe, but I would I would say yes would probably be my assumption, but I wouldn't I would probably be okay with that sign if I got behind the scenes. And they were being, they were doing everything, well, not everything, but they were, they were managing the risk in in what I deemed to be what we yeah. deemed in a, an impactful way. However, yeah. I would still ask the question: What benefit does that sign bring? Purely a reminder. It's not putting. It's a reminding me of my culture, my organisational culture, and it's, it's so. <laughs> Is it though? Is it like I know my family want me home, right? And if could you would you see that sign up on you're on an educated safety professional and you know that and i think we tend to put our view of the world on other people and some people who are at the lower end of the food chain are thinking about the paycheck they don't want to they want to get the pay rise they don't want to get fired that's the culture they work in yeah. doesn't and and you can have those people in a good organization we have exceptions to, so no HR policy is perfect. You can end up with bad eggs in a good organization. Yeah. And so this is why I'm, I'm, I wouldn't rest, so I'm not saying you rest your entire safety culture on signage, but to me, the sign does no harm by itself. I appreciate that senior managers, uh, put these signs up to make them feel safe and uh, protect their brand and image. Yeah, it's a, it's a social tool. So it's making us, it's making us feel like we, it's making us feel like we're safe. I get that. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think you would, I don't know, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't, but like, 
if you're in a role where you're in a fatal situation, is that helpful to say, just remember your, 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 your family want to see you at home tonight. But like, what if your job just genuinely mean putting your life on the line? So what if you're armed response in the police force? But they, yes, there's some jobs that are more risky than the others. And I can, uh, I've been in a police station during an armed response. And when people were going out the door, so I was taking a piece of uh, night survey. I got nothing to do with the, the, the armed response, but I was taking a piece of night vision equipment from. I was taking a piece of night vision equipment from the coast guard boat to the police station, and as people were kidding up, they were getting reminded, "Don't take risks." It's all the sign saying. This is saying, "Don't take risks." Um, when we were responding to chemical spills and we were working with the fire service, they had similar similar mantras um and i would say so to me this sign in a high performance team and a high risk situation is a good thing okay so so i mean so here's an example and maybe this is just me and i'm putting my world on on the my view on the of the world on the world and on this post you know i used to do a lot of whitewater kayaking and i can't remember exactly what it was but i you know i had a few friends get injured and a couple of people that weren't friends die what what a kayaking and i had a little mantra on the front of my cockpit reminding me not to do dumb shit it was just handwritten in a, in a marker because you getting in the zone when you get at the top of the river and you're going down a a, a long stretch of rapids you've got to get in the mi right mindset and so for me safety is about getting in the right mindset and there's you know, we talk about people who are uh, tired and overworked and distracted with family dramas. We need to somehow manage them so they don't end up working in dangerous situations. But to me, yeah. So for me, it's about getting someone in the right mindset, reminding them to be in the right mindset, mm. not about it's creating a good culture. Mm. That sign doesn't create culture. I agree. Yeah. So let's... Um... Do we need to move on from the science? Yeah, we probably could. I think we're just going to keep going round and round. Yeah, yeah. And I think we we we're both saying the same thing, but but coming yeah. from different points of view. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so shall we move on to high performance teams and stuff like that? Yeah. So I, I think you've mentioned high performance teams a lot, and I and I do think that there is there is definitely something that that we need to. Like so, if we so you've used examples like uh, you know all high performing teams, the Coast Guard, military, police force, anything like that. You can even talk about sport as well, right? As a as a high performance team, and we we talk about those types of teams a lot, you know, on the podcast, outside the podcast, and books in academia, and so on and so forth. And there are key, really, really key things that we see in a high performance team that we don't see in what I would call normal work, construction, manufacturing, blah, blah, blah. And that's where typically I get issue with these types of signs and programs and things like that in the, oh, well done. You feel, feel, tap yourself on the back, mate. You put a sign up saying, don't forget your life's important. Like, but you've not done any of this stuff behind the scenes to actually enable that situation. I don't want to go and list the, the stuff that I would consider, I'll, I'll kind of say to you, like, and then we'll, we'll get in the conversation from there. Like, what are those, what do you think of those things that we would see in a high performance team that enables something like as something as simple as remember your family want you home tonight or don't do dumb shit. What do we need behind the scenes to make something as simple as that effective? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think the approach should be not build safe teams, not build safe organizations, it's build sustainable businesses. And a sustainable business, if you, all the facets of a lot of the safety concepts, um, where they say this, this, and this, 
if you look at if you look into the commonalities between a lot of the different safety uh, tribes, there's some common themes. And if you look at them outside of safety and say, well, actually, if you look at high performance teams, not high risk teams, but just high performance teams in general, they have good leadership. They focus on good leadership. The organization focuses on building good leadership. They focus on teaching leaders to delegate, properly delegate. They talk about clear lines of responsibility. They talk about accountability. They talk about trust. They talk about open communication. They talk about honest communication. All things we talk about in the safety world. And so my view of how we improve safety, and there's two approaches, but it's coming at it from two different angles. If you invest in leadership and organizational leadership and organizational development, you create good leadership, you create delegation, you create trust and accountability and good communication, then you're more likely to be able to have a good safety culture uh, because you've got those skills we talk about in safety. So you can look, and there's one way of doing it if you want to push the value of safety in an organization, and in my view, is that you use, you try and pitch to the management team that, you know, maybe we use, we can reduce the overall cost of safety if we use safety to develop our business performance. We build high performing teams. So if your team has good communication and good leadership and good delegation, that they're going to be able to be better at their job because that's what good businesses, you know, and I say good business, not not successful businesses that suck the life out of their, their staff, but businesses that are long-term successful and treat their staff well have these features. And, you know, so I come back to working in the government New Zealand. We I grew up in a high-performance team because the CEO invested heavily in leadership and teamwork and team building. And we had half an FTE for 150 staff. Uh, and we used to think that's nuts. But the result of that was, ironically, so it wasn't a conscious decision for safe, a, a new way of safety. It was not willing to put more money into that resource at the moment. The teams wrote their own policy. We didn't have a corporate HSE team that wrote policy. We wrote policies and procedures that matched our way of working. And we had to review them and we would then put them into the corporate pool. And if there's another department that was using a similar operational modus, they would then say, does this policy fit our world? And if not, we're going to write the policy a bit different. We might have two policies under the same heading for two different departments, but commonalities. And then we would review it and the teams were required to review health and safety policies once a month uh, and discuss it in their team meetings. And we weren't mandated to do X, Y, and Z. We did what we needed to based on our operational understand our understanding of our operational risk. Um, so we had our typical office H HSE policies. They didn't get that much time given to them because uh, unlike in the corporate world where I've just come from working in the oil and gas industry, we had some amazingly bureaucratic corporate HSE policies, yet operationally they were quite questionable. Um, so, um, and I've got one of my favorite examples is, uh, oh, is this book here, Turn the Ship Around. It's about um, a, a captain receiving his first ship. It was the worst nuclear ship in the US fleet, and he turned it around uh, to be the most, uh, the safest and the most uh, operationally ready nuclear ship in the US fleet. And the safety came with the operational excellence mm. through leadership. Mm. And so the, I, I think the biggest problem with industry that we, we see in most of our lives is that we're trying to reduce costs in the wrong places and we're trying to keep labor costs down as low rather than investing in people and getting good results um, because if you invest in, if you spend time to educate your team around um, operating oh, say, proper safety culture and other training, it pays off. Uh, but too often there's a recession or the business struggles and they start cutting those costs and they don't come back. 
Um, so yeah, so th this conversation came to us like, my view of safety is there's nothing special. It's all these safety concepts out there, new, new safety thinking, and not one of them is 100% right, but they've all got some common themes. Mm. And they are, to me, about um, leadership and investing in people. Mm. Well, um, would you say that I was... No, I, I fundamentally agree with everything that you've just said. I think that leadership has just come in the corporate world or normal work world has completely lost its... Um, value like a leader is someone else's position not not someone that actually has the skills whereas if you were to look to i mean i love making comparisons to sport if you were to say who's a leader on on a, on a, in a rugby team for example you know you wouldn't say the captain the captain might be in that list 100 probably because they were chosen because they were a good leader and uh, he's got a bunch of leadership around him with a good culture exactly so and um, which is founded on on a i know what you're going to pull out now another example sean for patrick no oh. way a new zealander bringing out a new zealander <laughs> but that that there is all about sports but if you take it it's about a sports team but if you take stuff out of here i mean he's an incredibly good leadership coach now mm. he makes money on consulting around leadership and you take stuff from here incredibly high performance team but to be successful here, I mean, he's one of the most successful all black captains ever. Uh, so therefore it makes him one of the most successful rugby captains in the world, or, or the most successful. Um, and, oh, they and had incredibly honest communication and trust and standards, and the team could hold people account. And the problem with health and safety and bad cultures and poor communication is people don't get held account. The right people don't get account held account the lowest common denominator gets blamed do you think the other thing that the the um high performance teams have though is a high level of competence mm -hmm. high level and, and and in addition to a high level of competence regular drilling so regular kind of yeah you know, if you were to look at a a scenario like a rugby team is a primary example you are selected to play for a rugby team whether it's premiership wherever it's local or whether it's national you are selected out of a bunch of people that fall into that criteria and you are in that team because you are the best person for that position you're the starting person for that position because you're the best right yep. whether that's for the nation or it's for your local team because you have a high level of competency and then as a team you will continue to build that competency and come and build and build and build but additionally mister that's enough bloody dog Guaranteed there's no one at the door. Lay down. Um, <clears throat> yeah, those, those so, so those teams will have a high level of competency, um, but they will additionally, they will keep drilling those scenarios. So, right, you've just lost your scrum half. What do we do now? You know, you, you're one minute till the end of the game. You're two tries down and we need to win this game. What? So they build, they build redundancy in their teams? Yeah, they build redundancy. To stay safe. So when someone calls in sick, they can the operations can continue because they've got redundancy. And I've I've worked in an organisation where people had a job and they stuck to it and did nothing else. Yeah. Um. And there's no redundancy in that team for when things go wrong. Yeah. And so these team successful teams have redundancy. Uh. They invest in their teams, but they also have a culture where people who bring a shit attitude to the game don't survive. And so Sean Fitzpatrick is a really good example. He was an incredible rugby player when he was young, but he came with an attitude. And he nearly didn't survive in the All Blacks because of his attitude. Yeah. And he thought he was gung-ho. And when you've got a team, that had a leadership team, and leadership doesn't mean high team, everyone at the peak top, but a team with good leadership culture, the team can say to him, pull your head in. Yeah. Uh, or a coach that can be brutally honest. And that's, I think, one thing that I think we lack in, in leadership uh, ac across the world is leaders that can give honest feedback and address situations as they arise and so you know I, I can think of examples where a staff member's been blamed once again for the problem the safety issue and the boss says well i've told them that before well i haven't really told them you've alluded to it but you haven't been clear mm -hmm. you haven't said 
this is what you can and can't do and if you choose not to do it you're not going to work for me anymore because um, no one want, people don't like to say that um, and so that's about the accountability you give people you delegate responsibility but you also hold them accountable um, but that requires investment teams don't develop good cultures just because they want to uh, just because the CEO says we're going to change our culture and we're going to bring in a consultant to give us a new book on how to be safe, how to develop a safety culture yeah. um, or an organisation culture. It needs investment, long-term investment. And you know, I was incredibly lucky. I didn't, I, I didn't like it at the time, what the CEO, how he, how he dealt with these issues. But looking back um, in my formative years, you know, the CEO had a really good, uh, he invested a lot. We worked for the government. It was unusual. And I look back, I was working for a regional government and we were investing more in humans than industry does mm. that I've been exposed to. And we didn't get paid. Oh, no, I got paid perfectly fine. But we didn't. We weren't there for the, the money because we, we can go into private sector and earn a lot more. But we had a good culture. And uh, people liked working there cause, and we achieved good results. Um, and after 14 years there, I left and I really, really missed that culture of what led to a safe organization. So our team was safe, but there were other departments where weren't as safe because the leader didn't invest in, he didn't invest in leadership skills and good he didn't have good communication in the department. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, we've, we just got a probably international acceptance of like minimum competency like yeah. in the uk in some trades we even say minimum competency you have to achieve minimum minimum level of competency it's like there's whole schemes of it and it's yeah. like are we saying minimum level of competency and then here's the next level we want you to be at within the next amount of years and then so on and we want to see you continually develop then that would be acceptable um yeah. so we're not doing that we we might yeah. we might say you know within the safety profession for example we go we got cpd which is just bureaucratic nothing uh in my opinion well it depends how you approach it i suppose but in trades in a lot of trades particularly in the uk is achieve minimum level of competency and get your badge done i can go and do some jobs now now you yeah. might say i'm going to build up experience and learn and i'm going to get better naturally and of course you are but in a high performing team you are invested in your competency and we are continually pushing and pushing and pushing to improve your competency and we're learning so something happened today that was different and sport again is such a good example of that you know we lost this game we're going to analyze that why did we lose that game we won this game we're going to analyze that why did we win that game we don't yeah. do that at work we don't go we we did that project really good let's learn why we why we did that so we're not very good at learning. We don't invest in people um, to achieve a good level of, of competency. We don't set people up for success. Therefore, nine times out of 10, when I see signs like that, I go, well done for making yourself feel like you've done something when actually you haven't done anything. We consistently just target the minimum level of competency, the minimum level of compliance or whatever we think that actually is. And we don't build high-performing teams. I don't even think we build medium-performing teams, if I'm honest. In the well, some organisations do. But, I mean, I, I think I, but you're right. I mean, the majority of our problems around safety, uh, when we, we go into an organisation, uh, it's it's it, the organisation's culture and leadership is focused on widgets and numbers rather than investing in people. Yeah. And, you know, those, I mean, I think you've been involved in or maybe you led a conversation about um, qualifications versus experience on LinkedIn. That Numerous we both times I've had And, yeah. you know, it's a double-edged sword, you know. Um, but I do think qualifications, there's too much weight put on qualifications and there's not enough, dare I say, an HR process, there's not enough skills to actually, uh, uh, not enough time in a lot of organisations committed to um actually understanding whether the person has competence mm. they go oh, i got a qualification and seems like a nice guy he's wearing a nice shirt and he can speak 
English okay or German okay, offer him a job. And, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the, the, the things where I appreciate when working, you know, I've got quite a dominant personality as a leader and I got it thumped into me by a mentor. I had to shut up uh, when I had my team around me to let the introverts speak. And so, and the introverts or the new staff who felt insecure often uh, offered the best challenges. They didn't offer necessarily the best solutions to our problems, our operational problems, but they offered the best challenge and said, but why do we do it this way? It seems dumb to me. Mm. Uh, and you go, oh yeah, okay. All right. So whatever we're doing, they don't understand. Uh, so clearly we haven't explained it to them well enough. And then we might analyze, actually we, we could improve our process. Um, yeah. So sure. yeah, I mean, yeah, qualifications, I think is, I've been in an experience where I was uh, setting up a training program for an organization and I, the, the first boss who I did the, the sales to pitch to uh, about what we're going to do, agreed to everything and agreed to do all of it uh, in terms of the level of training and the number of training exercises and training programs. And then the new boss came in, he went out, he changed jobs, new boss came in. Um, the new boss had a bigger focus on saving money and said, we'll just do the first part. And so as soon as they got it, they'd done a three-day course, which in my world was an introduction to actually starting to become competent. They stopped all the training. Mm-hmm. And then they tell the world from a, and it was a safety environmental training, we are best practice because we've done this three-day course. Uh, that three-day course that I evolved in teaching them, uh, when I did it, it wouldn't even let me enter an operational field. It was uh, an introduction. And it's that culture of I've got a piece of paper behind me, therefore I'm competent. Um, I think a lot of this we need to we need to make very clear. Like I know Eric talks about the trade-off between foreignness and efficiency, but like I think we need to make it very clear to businesses and to safety professionals as well that that there is a trade-off between efficiency and resilience. Like so I think that it's interesting because I remember I remember actually I used to say that safety and efficiency are are actually closely related to a point where I even said, I actually think it would be inefficient to be unsafe, which in a wider business context, I get what I was trying to say. Would I say it like that now? Probably not. Um, But ultimately, I think, I mean, even, even in the UK now, I mean, if I look at what's going on with the NHS, the NHS has been has been smashed and smashed and smashed for years for being an inefficient process. And I've worked within the NHS. It is terribly inefficient, but there is a lot of time wasted doing a lot of shit that I'm not sure anybody knows why we do this shit that's taken me X amount of time, right? It's terribly inefficient. And ultimately, I don't think what we've done is, is really asked ourselves that question. Okay. We need to be more efficient, but, we might be becoming less resilient if we're more efficient. So the PPE shortage within the NHS was a great example of that. Terribly inefficient to keep loads and loads of PPE stocked up in case there was a pandemic, but it is resilient to have that. Yeah, It's not, yeah. It's not efficient because it goes out of date. You've got to keep placing it, so on and so forth. It's probably a little bit better um to have had a lot of more people trained up to do the face fit and stuff like that but then why are we going to keep training these people if we're if yeah but it's for our it's our pandemic plan yeah but when's the last time we had a pandemic oh yeah years ago and yeah that, i mean that pandemic plan is a good example i mean we've got the same problem with uh, with the staff shortages as well in the granted there's a lot more context to that as well but we've we've removed bursaries we've made the we've made it more efficient um within there by being more cost effective which means we don't pay terribly good to be a nurse or a hca in the nhs therefore we've got less people wanting to be in the nhs and now yeah. we're not a very efficient uh, sorry we're not a very uh resilient organization pandemics hit boom 
the screen. Yeah. So I mean, I think there's a, a there's a strong correlation between lack of preparedness for the pandemic and safety culture. I mean, you know, you've got biz- businesses that have, you know, got their emergency plans and they've got their business continuity plans and they don't see them much as the same thing. And, you know, a pandemic, a number of businesses that stopped during the pandemic and took a month to start operating from home efficiently is, you know, it's... It's always been in the ISO standards for business continuity planning, pandemic planning, yeah. but people didn't want to invest in it because they couldn't see a payoff tomorrow. Yeah. They couldn't see a payoff in the next financial balance sheet. And they can visualize because they've got experience uh, with investing in new machinery. It costs a lot, but it's going to help me become more efficient in the long term. And I think, and I think the part of it is that safety and to a degree, emergency management in organizations is undervalued and it's not appreciated how much uh, it's just seen as a cost. And, you know, I believe that if you, if you invest in good emergency management and safety, uh, that benefits your organization. So part of, you know, my, my view around investing in emergency management, which is very similar to, I I believe if you invest in emergency management and safety in a similar way, it builds good leadership. It shows you who your true leaders are because in an emergency, uh, or, uh, a a safety situation, true leaders show up and they, and, and safety events and emergency events also show the flaws in leaders. Um, and I've been involved uh, in a number of situations where back in New Zealand in civil defence, where a number of good managers were put into uh, leadership roles in the emergency management, and they failed because they they got stressed out and they didn't manage their teams very well, and their teams got pissed off with them. So they actually got some leadership training for emergency management. But that paid off in their day job. Um, yeah. So, and I, I think, and I think we ignore the failings of our leaders in normal business. We, we make excuses. We, yeah. I mean, well, we, when you're talking about competence, so that we, you know, primarily spoke about competence in reference to the sharp end. But competence, if you're a leader and you've never been told or helped or coached or trained on how to actually be a leader, what the f- fundamentals of being a good leader you're also not competent so you know for me investing in competence additionally means you know not just saying and and you know this is like such a a kind of cliche and everyone says this all the time you know oh you know we a manager is not a manager a manager is just the best engineer in the team or the longest engineer in the team becomes a manager but that doesn't make them a manager everyone says that it's particularly no, it makes them manager it doesn't make them a leader yeah, it doesn't make them a leader right yeah and everyone says that in in the uk no one does anything about it no one goes yeah, yeah that's a really good point so let's invest in that and make some competent managers some competent leaders within the and area. also provide career opportunities for technocrats because not everyone can lead yeah, they can be very, very good at their job. They can help the organisation make a lot of money, but if you put them in a leadership role, they're going to probably screw up. And I've seen a situation where a peer of mine, he was an incredibly good scientist, a guru, and he didn't want to manage people. Uh, it wasn't his strong point, and the only way for him to go up the food chain in the organisation was to take on a leadership role. And he said no. He came back as a really good leader in about five years' time. Um, but it's all too often, if you want to become a leader, you have to become a team leader or a manager rather than a project manager, a, a respected, well-paid project manager. Yeah. And so you, you can have some incredibly good project managers that are, can manage project team members really well, but if they're responsible for the day-to-day management of staff, we'll screw it up. Yeah. I've got a friend. She's um, she's got she's got autism, autism, and she's got a senior. She's she's got a great boss. Um, so the boss is the only boss, only person in the organisation knows she's got autism, yeah. and she's a senior leader. 
but the staff don't report directly to her. And that's the company saying, well, actually, we can promote someone, have them in a leadership position, but not have to have responsibility for people. Yeah. Uh, and it works really, really well. Yeah. And I think too many organisations create the situation as, yeah, if you want to, if you want to earn more, you have to be uh, managing lots of people. Yeah. Um, I think fundamentally, that comes down to um, not having kind of like a a safety centred approach or a risk centred approach. It's having a people centred approach. Like, yeah. you know, right, Bryce, we you've been here for many years and you're clearly very good at your job and you've got a lot of potential. Yeah, but I don't want to manage anyone, so don't bother offering me that manager job. Right, okay. Well, okay, that, that's cool. And we kind of knew that because we know your personality because we're a people-centered organization and we, we, we understand you. We've got to know. And we don't want to lose you. <laughs> we don't want to lose you. We want to invest in you because when I invest in you, I'm investing in me my organization because you work for me so the better you are the better my organization is which means the better i am and it, yeah. it, it it's that connection that people just seem that a lot i say people in a sweeping generalization I, I, I mean a lot of organizations just seem not to get they're just like they're so and 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 i suppose that mindset you have to you have to have the financial luxury of that mindset but it's this it's this balance again between efficiency and resilience and it's so many times when i've spoke to i've spoke to organizations and 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 it'll be like you know we've got Bryce for example who's the only guy who can run that machine so and that machine makes one product and when Bryce goes on holiday we just increase the lead time for that product right? Mm. Bryce is going to retire soon or Bryce might leave soon or Bryce might be ill soon. What are you going to do then? Or if Bryce has a heart attack while that machine's operating, how do we shut it down safely? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> but like, like, so what, you know, you're not very resilient as an organization. Yeah, but we haven't got time to, we haven't got time to retrain somebody else or slow Bryce down by putting James with him, who's, who's like our promising trainee. But it's like, it, it's this short-term thinking, isn't it? Like, we can only deal with the order right in front of us. Instead of instead of saying, when Bryce goes on holiday, we increase our lead time, why don't we, for that one product or that one process, we say we're going to increase the lead time by a couple of days on every job so that when Bryce retires, we're not up shit creek without a paddle. It's, yeah. And people really, organizations, I find, really tend to struggle with that shift to those more longer term thinking and that really is is probably my issue with coming back to our original conversation it's my issue with 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 signs like that to me that's just short-term thinking you put that sign up great thank you remind everyone they need to be fucking safe and do nothing behind the scenes to actually help them um or give them or enable them to um to actually do what you're telling them to do so go remember your, your families want your home. Okay. And here's the tools to do that. Then I haven't got a problem with it. Yeah. You do that. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things I was going to say to you earlier is, you know, what if that you're, what if you're right? That sign, if you see that sign, it means the company's got a bad culture behind it. What if that is true? And I put it to you, well, what if is that everyone who's, done a new safety mind shift change, has come and done a course and done some reading, has come back into the organization because they've learned those signs are dumb, so they remove them. Yeah. So the sign is an indicator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, and, and ultimately... You but know, we shouldn't condemn it. I'm not, I'm not... Okay. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Yeah, it, it is... Should I not condemn it? ask so so i think you should always ask why that sign is there you shouldn't you shouldn't and i think what we do is there's we have we have our learned we have a gut instinct we've learned through experience that this sign is bad but i think in, in everyday life we we should use our gut instincts for a lot of things but we should also challenge our gut instincts yeah. more often and say well I'm going to find out the, rather than say that sign shit, I'm going to inquire as to what's behind that sign. 
Yeah, and and I suppose that is the the the. I suppose, I suppose it would be fair criticism of of myself in that sharing that post is no different from somebody sharing a picture of two guys doing something stupid and saying, uh, "These guys are stupid. They should be fired." It's it's exactly the same. But but there is something I did want to say earlier, um, just to make it very clear, is that. I don't think this is just old views, old safety thinking, because the people that are a lot of people that are transitioning over to this new view way of thinking are just doing exactly the same. So in this time, that sign won't say, remember your family want your home. It will say safety is our ethical responsibility. That's what it will say. I think a lot of people who are trying to bring new safety into the organization don't actually understand it. No, and they're just doing shit. But but yeah. that they used to do, but they're saying it in a different way. So they know they should do it better, and they they learn about it, and they don't really understand what they're trying to implement properly, and they just implement the same thing with different words. Yeah. So how yeah. many companies out there that preach to do the safety differently or whatever have all the Decker principles on their website? Well, I hope none, and this is my point. I don't think uh, this is, and we've talked about it earlier in previous conversations. Is this tribalism of the new of of the new ways of safety thinking? Yeah. They're all, and some of the conversation in this post was very much coming from I've learnt under this banner, and this is my views, yeah. and you know what I believe is right. It's, uh, you know, I've said to you that Sydney Decker is kind of influenced a lot of my thinking but i don't subscribe to sydney decker as the be all end all and i like this guy and this guy but i also take some of this guy to help my safety thinking and some of this guy to help my safety thinking and we shouldn't we shouldn't become too theoretical in our safety thinking we've got to bring more operational i I think maybe too many safety people don't have operational experience and they're introducing a safety culture and corporate, when you got large corporates, when you got large corporates with a corporate HSC team, I think too often they have they're too, too uh, disconnected from the operational side, yeah. uh, and you know they don't have experience. Yeah. Um, well, I think that and- comes back down to this fundamental what I'm starting to believe is a root cause of all of our issues is safety doesn't really still know what safety does the safety profession don't still really know what we do what do we exist for what what do we where do we come from what are our backgrounds what 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 do we do where do we sit in an organization you know are we operational are we not are we you know are we technical are we kind of social are we legal are we what are we we're all of the above yeah no it's just Yeah, I, I, I think we're having an identity crisis and I think we've been having it for a long time and I think we're going to continue having it for a long time. I, mean, but, I think we have an identity crisis because we're not val- it's not valued. I mean, not valued to the point of I came into health and safety HSE roles and I, I part of my contract negotiation is I didn't have HSE in my title because I hated being associated with health and safety mm. because it's got such a bad rap. Yeah. Um, because... It's just, uh, I mean, you know, preaching to converters, bureaucratic rubbish most of the time. Um, yeah, what is where where does safety sit? You, your question is that's quite an interesting. What are what is safety? Um, to me, I think it comes down to maybe we shouldn't have so big uh, safety teams in corporate world. We should invest more safety down in the troops down with the troops yeah well i i mean i could there's probably another hour's conversation if we to get down this rabbit hole but for for me i think that we we lost our way when we started considering it a completely standalone profession like it it is a it is an aspect of of organizational risk in my opinion and 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 I think that there is a risk profession and you can be a safety specialist within the risk profession. And yeah. if you're a safety specialist within the risk profession, you're now actually just a really technical person who knows chemical safety to, to its finest degree yeah. and machine safety to its finest degree. And that 
is what I think we should have been. And then somewhere in there, there's some like risk generalists, which is what I think safety is trying to become or has been for a long time, these kind of health and safety generalists. But now I'm like, hang on a minute. I did a, a NEBOS general, then I did an NCRQ diploma. And now all of a sudden I'm an expert in human factors and behavioral science and, yeah. and future and leadership. No, 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 that don't work. That's not how this, that's not how this works. And I think in large organizations, they, they start out often with this, everyone's a generalist, no matter what your background is, and everyone's got to do the same job. And you can, you can end up with people trying to do the same job because they're in the same department, even though they've got no common training or experience mm. and one's good at it and one's not. And, but one area that I really struggle with and I've always struggled with is H S and E. Um, I don't, you know, there's some commonalities, but I think when you either the environmental side is going to miss out on the intention or the safety side is, I don't, from my experience, uh, there's not too many people that can actually focus on the two topics and do a good job. Uh, I've, I've worked on both sides, but I can't, I've never been in a situation where I've been able to keep up skilled and both sides at the same time, because the two, if you want to do it properly, you've got to focus and and stick to becoming a subject matter expert in one area, in my view. I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, and then and then you add quality, then you add well-being oh, yeah. and, and mental health. And it's just like, yeah. hang on a minute. These are yeah. all really serious risks, like yeah. serious risks, not just to people, but to the organization, to the, the local environment, the wider environment, and so on. These are all really serious risks when you're expecting one person or one small team within your organization to be the expert on all of those. No, yeah. I don't have a problem with a department that covers all of those. And within yeah. there, you have health and safety expert or a health specialist, a safety specialist, an environment specialist. Mate, I am fine with yeah. that all day. Till the cows come home, that's fine. But having a department that's full of health, safety, environment, quality, and well-being generalist, I think, wow, what a complete waste of money that is. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Um and that's our entire profession and that's my concern. That's my concern is we are predominantly all generalists and people and, and i've had this conversation a few times like, oh no i know a work at height specialist i know a, a this specialist okay but but it's not common is it that's not the common practice yes there yeah. are specialists but it's not the common practice within an organization it's generalist 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 is all we see yeah if you had a the nhs was made up of only gps we'd be freaking screwed we'd all be screwed wouldn't we we'd yeah. be dead yeah yeah. So what's the solution? <laughs> that was my little soapbox there. <laughs> Apologies for that. So in summary, I should, I probably judged the sign too quickly and there are, it's an indicator to, in my experience, it's an indicator to potentially not having a high performing team behind it, but it might not necessarily be. Um, and and I, I agree with that. Yeah. Just, yeah, don't, don't, I, I would say see that sign and don't commit to a particular path based on seeing that sign. Yeah. <laughs> Be open. Um, I would take it further to say, actually, I would challenge myself and others listening to this. Let's just try and be a little bit more positive. On, yeah. on, and and, not and, and it, find something that doesn't align to the last book that we read and then just bust, you know, slag it off on LinkedIn. And I think that's actually, in general, we should be looking for more positives in situations. And, you know, I I was really fortunate uh, to have a lot of money and time invested in me when I was a young leader. I mean, I had an incredible amount of money because the CEO didn't think I was up to it. So he said I had to, uh, (laughs) he literally said, he he literally said, uh, when you got, when I got offered my first leadership role, it says, we're giving you a three month contract. uh, And if you're not up to it after three months, you can go back to your old row. And I said, I don't want the job. And he said, okay. And then uh, they invested in me heavily. And I got to work with some pretty cool mentors. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, and I, I can admit that I I don't live this all the time, but I try and catch myself out, is 
look for the positive in a situation first yeah. try and understand and one thing that has been really helpful particularly when you have conflict with people potentially a conflict situation around a safety philosophy or something anything is uh try to agree um so he always taught me if you disagree with someone strongly before you tell them you disagree ask them a few questions and try and agree try and agree with their position yeah, because that. it's going to create dialogue yeah um and if you can agree with their position you've probably appreciated the fact that their view of the world their truth is based on their view of the world and their experiences your truth is based on your view of the world and your experiences and sometimes the truth for the world is here part of the world is here and sometimes it's over here and yeah, yeah part of this you know our initial conversation was you know um let's not take any model and apply it to a business uh, because it might not fit their business and you know diff taking one new safety model to fix a problem in an organization might not work because the different models hit applied equally well in different situations yeah 100% so. agree we're at a buffet don't just eat the cocktail sausages there's loads of stuff there yeah i agree yeah. i agree yeah. right bryce that was a really nice place to leave it actually we've been we've been yeah. waffling on for an hour anyway so uh if, if people wanted to get hold of you or or even do some work with you what's the best way to kind of get hold of hold of yourself uh easiest way to get hold of myself would be to look up my uh, company esg ship vetting so esg ship s-h-i-p vetting v-e-t-t-i-n-g.com nice one and It'll be all about seafarer welfare, but you can get in contact with me with regards to safety and emergency management. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on, Bryce. I enjoyed that chat. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. Okay, peeps. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Bryce. It was an interesting one and a good one. I Like I say, I always really like it when we've got people coming at things from different points of view. Um, it's always good to have people disagreeing. Disagreement is good, man. It's good. You know, it'd be boring if we all agreed with each other. Um, and we'd never, we'd never grow, would we? Don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance if you're looking for human organisational performance experts to support you in your workplace. Don't forget to check out Project Meletium for your professional development mastermind community. Don't forget to check out reboundandsafety.com to see how much more we can do to help you become better. I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.